This is a QAMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute podcast. Today it's lupus. This is a syndrome. It affects 5 million people worldwide. It's mostly women and it is particularly debilitating during flare-ups. Now the treatment has been toxic and compromising but the work of our director and CEO, Professor Fabian Mackay and her team, led to the first new treatment in over 50 years. On top of that, she's still heading an immunology team and joins us today. Thanks, Fabian, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Given lupus was first recorded in the 4th century, it's been quite a long time coming. It's a Latin word? Lupus means wolf. And I think the word was first used by physicians in the 12th century, a person called Rogerius, and he was referring to wolf bite, the red rashes that patients with lupus can have on the face. So I'm not sure what he means by wolf bite, you know, certainly, you know, these days we wouldn't know what wolf bite looks like, but I suppose in 12th century people would have a different idea what it looks like, but certainly that was in reference to the wolf bite that uh, Rogerius at the time gave it the name of lupus. Now, erythematosus, which is the other name for the disease, so systemic lupus erythematosus. So mm-hmm. erythematosus is erythros, which means red, mm-hmm. and it refers to the rash, really. And even though they diagnosed it back then, it's still really difficult to diagnose, isn't it? Uh, yes, indeed. Lupus can be seen more as a syndrome than a disease. It can manifest in different ways in different patients. So, for example, the American College of Rheumatology has defined different criteria to really decide whether or not a person is suffering from lupus. So there's different tests. People measure tests in the blood, the so-called autoantibodies, which is a hallmark Mm. of an autoimmune disease, but that's not enough to diagnose lupus. And then they look at different symptoms that the person might be displaying if person score at least four of the so-called criteria, that person may be diagnosed as uh, being a patient suffering from lupus. Worse in women? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's more prevalent in women than men. And the reason might be connected to what we call the endocrine system or hormones, really. What led you to studying lupus? I am a trained immunologist, so I have a passion for studies of the immune system. So I think I love the immune system because it's a really incredibly sophisticated human body feature, really, not humans in mammals. I'm fascinated by how sophisticated it is. When you consider the variety of different antigens and threats we are exposed to, you know, on a daily basis, whether it is bacteria, viruses and fungus, cancers for that matter, and then our immune system is able, you know, in most healthy people, it's able to control and manage those threats with a very large variety of specialized immune cells they are going to do a very precise, very surgical role to eradicate any possible infection or cancer. So I find that absolutely fascinating. This is so clever. So that started with the immune system. Many aspects of my my work is really understanding why the immune system is so clever. What are the mechanisms used in the immune system to get such a really fine surgical response to all kinds of threats or cancers? So it started with that. But having said that, we know that 
for whatever reason, and uh, we can talk about those reasons later, the immune system can be faulty. In the case of autoimmune disease, this is an immune system that rather than finding viruses and bacteria and other threats or cancers, the immune system suddenly decides to attack the person's own tissues and create a lot of inflammation and havoc in the body that's very debilitating, like it is the case in lupus. Equally, I was very interested in what goes wrong in the immune system, so suddenly it turns against you. And you can't turn it off because you need it. Well, that's right. You really need an immune system, as we've realised with the COVID period, you know. You need a solid immune, uh, immune system to fight an infection, especially viral infections, but not just. What is it that the immune system, for whatever reason, turns against you? It really has been my battle and, and my crusade for the last, you know, 30 years or so of doing research in immunology. It was an incredible breakthrough. We'll get to that. Yeah. But first, what about the people living with lupus? It's really challenging. The disease is uh, it's difficult to live with, you know, with flares that come and go. You have inflammation all over the body and a lot of the treatments are not fun. Anywhere from corticosteroids or immunosuppressants, they don't always work. But I think one of the issues they have is they can be very toxic, adhering to treatment because of that. And a lot of people have to stop treatment because the toxicity is just not manageable. You don't just have one specialist either, do you? Uh, You can have several specialists to manage the disease. It depends on the manifestation of the disease. If you have a form of lupus that involves the kidney and nephritis, for instance, you're going to have a rheumatologist, but potentially a nephrologist as well, or kidney specialist. And there are different types of lupus as well. Uh, Yeah, so you have the so-called, what we call systemic lupus erythematosus, which can affect many tissues and organs, the joints, uh, the liver, the lung, and then another form which is more specific of, of the skin, so where you have the rashes on the face or elsewhere. You can also have drug-induced lupus. So basically there are some medications that can potentially induce lupus. In fact, we can do that experimentally in animals mm. using a drug called Pristin. And Pristin can induce a form of lupus in, in rodents as an experimental model. And finally, you can have a form of lupus that's very early in life and in children born from mothers who suffer from lupus. Is there a genetic component? There's certainly different factors that can contribute to uh, the etiology of lupus, in particular genetics, but not just. A lot of evidence suggesting that the environment also can play a part. And it is more prevalent in some populations. I can give you the the US as an example. It is more prevalent, for example, in African-Americans, in Hispanic population and Asian population, and also um, American Indians, so minorities uh, such as Indians. And in Australia, it is uh, far more prevalent, four to six times more prevalent in Indigenous Australians, something that not many people know. Your discovery of an enabler that can be a little too enthusiastic opened the gateway to a new treatment. So tell us about that. It started with an observation. We were very interested in a category of factors that we have in the body, and they're called cytokines. Cytokines are very useful in the body. They can create a bit of inflammation, but at the same time, they're very useful for the immune system and to have a proper immune system to fight infections and cancer. 
my group and my collaborators at the time, we discovered a new cytokine. And we called it BAF, B-A-F-F. We didn't know a lot about it. We knew that all humans made that factor. The first things we did is, well, what do we need that factor? And then the way to study that is to have an animal model whereby we eliminate BAF. So you turned it off? We can turn it off. Genetic manipulations, we turn it off. When the animals don't have BAF, they are missing a category of immune cells that are really, really important in the immune system. And these immune cells are called B cells. B cells make antibodies. So when you get vaccination, for example, for COVID, the B cells are very important because they're going to make antibodies that are stopping the virus from entering the tissue. And therefore, if you didn't have BAF, you would not be able to respond to a vaccine like a COVID-19 vaccine. What we discovered initially is that BAF is incredibly important in the immune system. If you don't have BAF, you're going to be immunocompromised. You're not going to be able to mount an immune response to a vaccine or to a threat, and you're not going to be able to produce antibodies that protect you. How did that show in the animals? So in the animal, basically, when we look at the immune system and we can look at the blood, for instance, and then we look for the different types of immune cells, and then we realize we were missing the B cells. So everything else was there except the B cells. And we said, oh, my God, they can't respond to a threat. So that was very indicative that this factor was incredibly important in the immune system. It was groundbreaking, too, because... There was a dogma that uh, those so-called immune cells, called B cells, they didn't need a soluble factor to survive. They only needed to have an antigen receptor on the cell surface. So B cells have a receptor on the surface that is specific for a particular antigen or a particular infection. The thought out of that amongst peers was that that's all they needed. That's all they needed to survive is to have a receptor that tweaks along and then helps them to survive. What my work showed is that that's not true. They need a receptor for sure. They also need this cytokine bath to survive. So they need both signals. They need a B-cell receptor and they need bath. So the field really was transformed that day. And all the notebooks and all the textbooks in the world had to be changed as a result. So everybody had to go back to scratch because of this information. It was a a very important paradigm shift at the time, a fundamental discovery, very highly cited discovery. So that was part one. Part one was really to understand why do we need it? Why is it so important? So we're talking about the normal immune system here. And yes, this is, we need it. It's very important. If we don't have it, we are immunocompromised. But then I know a lot about cytokines and I'm thinking, okay, what happens when we have too much of it? We know what cytokine storm is thanks to COVID. That's right. Too much of a cytokine can be wrong. For example, too much of another cytokine called tumor necrosis factor is an aspect that can drive rheumatoid arthritis. So that was really that finding that led us to think, well, what if we have too much bath? What's going to happen there? In this case, we engineered an animal model overexpressing this cytokine, making a lot of it, bucket load in the blood. After a while, we noticed that the mice were getting sick. So we did an assessment of what they were suffering from. We realized that they were developing 
a syndrome that was very reminiscent of lupus. So that was a very important discovery. It's probably some of the most cited, highly cited work that I've ever published. It's been cited more than a thousand times now. A disease that came out in the 1200s, hasn't had a new treatment for 50 years, and all of a sudden you opened it wide up. So that's definitely a new avenue, something that no one had seen coming, really. It was uh, groundbreaking at the time because every single biotech company and pharmaceutical industry was on it, trying to make an inhibitor of bath. And the implications for all sorts of other diseases would have been extraordinary as well. Oh, yeah, everyone was looking at what the implication might be in other types of disease, absolutely. So you know none is very bad, too little is bad, and too much is also bad. Not having it is bad, having enough is good, having too much is bad. It's a balance. The next part, you know, it's fine to have an animal model, but I think that the next stage was really to demonstrate that maybe this factor was overproduced in patients suffering from lupus. And that's exactly what we found. So we did a lot of work testing the levels of these cytokines in the serum of patients suffering from different autoimmune conditions. And suddenly it was much higher in the blood of patients with lupus. And that, again, was groundbreaking because it was validating the fact that we were onto something that was relevant for humans suffering from the disease. That led to a fantastic race for the development of an inhibitor of that cytokine. Many of us were looking at different cytokines. And it so happened that there was another company called Human Genome Science they found the sequence or the DNA sequence of that cytokine. And in those days, the human genome was not fully sequenced. If you found a sequence of a new factor, you could patent that sequence. It was intellectual property in those days. It cannot be these days because the whole human genome Mm -hmm. is public domain. But in those days, you could file a patent with a DNA sequence of a factor. It turns out that human genome science, in their notebook, lab books, had the sequence a few days before we did. So in, o- in other words, they did own the sequence, or at least the coding element of the cytokine, which it means they have the right to develop an inhibitor to it. They have monopolies for a while. The issue, though... You need to know what you're going to do with it. We had that first. My work determined that first. Human Genome Science published a paper suggesting that you could use that factor in immunocompromised patients to stimulate their immune system, which is not necessarily wrong, but that's not the main indication in this particular system. Whereas what I was saying with my publication, which was the first on lupus is that if you block this factor, you're going to cure lupus. And because of that, the biotech company I did the research with at the time in the US had rights to royalties on a BAF inhibitor down the road, and they had that for many years. And lupus patients now benefit from that. That's right. To get the direction right and to know exactly what to do with this factor, you needed to know my work. So my work really told everyone what was needed to progress this into a new therapy for patients. 
many years down the road. It's actually not that many years. It's been nine to 10 years, pretty fast considering how long it takes to develop a new treatment. So basically the way you do this is you engineer an antibody that is mopping away BAF in patients. So you inject it in patients and then it binds to BAF and mops it away from tissues. And it's been done, it's been trialed, it met the primary endpoint. It means it works in clinical trial and it showed benefit uh, treating patients with lupus. So the first time it met the primary endpoint was in 2011. But very recently, in 2020, another trial was finished and it was for lupus nephritis. So we're, we're talking about a form of lupus involving the kidney and that was also uh, successful. The drug now can be extended to patients with lupus nephritis. And sitting watching this are the patients. Now it's really changed their lives. Absolutely. For many patients, it's game-changing. The traditional treatment with corticosteroids, immunosuppressants, very harsh, very toxic. Corticosteroids in particular, patients never like them. This particular treatment is a so-called steroid sparing, means you can really reduce the dose of steroids when you give that particular treatment. That is really making a difference in quality of life of patients having to treat their lupus. Are the patients only treated during a flare-up or is this an ongoing treatment? I mean, it varies. It's, it's really up to the rheumatologist in charge to decide on the protocol and the regime for the treatment. We'd like to picture what happened in your lab that day. I had to pinch myself. I think it's more that. It's just funny you're stunned. And the way I found out, a former supervisor in the U.S. sent me a photo of the American College of Rheumatology meetings in, I think it was in Chicago at the time in 2011 with the banners. And, and he told me, that's it. It's been approved. At first, I said, oh, my God, I, I, you know, I just maybe I'm dreaming out to pinch myself. And eventually it sinks in, you know, like you don't really realize it's so big. Day after day and hours after hours, you realize, oh, my God, this is going to be game changing. This is going to transform, you know, the way we treat patients. And it's big. This is a massive impact of the work that I've done. This is a discovery that, you know, is going to make a real difference. It's real. It's going to make a difference in in the lives of patients. So your lab is still working on this, though? Yeah, we still have a project on that. What we're trying to do is refine the approach. At the moment, the treatment, so the, the treatment that is approved is called Belimumab or Benlista. Mm-hmm. It's been produced by GlaxoSmithKline. It's having a benefit in patients, but at the same time, it does immunocompromise patients. Because the way it works, it mops the cytokine away, and that stops the symptoms of lupus, but at the same time, it decreases the number of those very important immune cells called B cells quite dramatically. So you can just imagine how detrimental it is during a pandemic, for instance, when you need to have those cells to respond to a vaccine. So I thought of this, and I know this system extremely well. I've studied it for many years now. We've been working with my team in refining the approach and finding a way of getting the same protection against the disease without compromising vital immune functions in the body that you really need to respond to a vaccine or you really need to fight a virus. So we are really trying to progress that. A refined version of the treatment this time far more tolerated by patients 
who at the same time need to have a strong immune system to fight an infection. Target some of the B cells, but leave the important ones behind. That's the M game. Yeah, we're trying to do that. Be more selective in the kind of um, cells we're targeting and really identify and neutralize the cells that are doing the damage, not the cells that are actually harmless and are there to help you. And change the lives of hundreds of thousands of people in Australia, 5 million worldwide. We wish you the best of luck. This is such exciting research and it continues. If you'd like to know anything more about Professor Fabian Mackay's important work or any of our research, qimrberghoffer.edu.au. Thank you so much, Fabian. (laughs) Thank you.